Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about faith and ministry. I'm David Libby. I'm Josh Hawk. And we're here today with a, a couple of people that I've admired for a long time, and I met a few years ago at a ministry convention in Seattle, um, Jim Henderson and Jim Hancock. I, I pulled out your names because I keep wanting to call you Jim Henson, um, and I, I don't know why. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm going to screw that up, so instead I just... Uh, uh, just admitted it now for when I inevitably do. Um, thanks, guys, yeah. for being on our show. Yeah, thanks for coming Great. on. Thank you. Fun to be yeah, here. Lovely to be here. Um, and you may call us anything you want. If you just uh, call us Jim, Jim, one of us will answer. <laughs> Jim, Jim. Um, yeah, well, we've been talking a lot in the past few uh, few episodes about how to get past some um, differences, some divides in conversation mm. that we've been having with our churches and uh, church members. Uh, we both recently had people leave our churches because they were pissed off at other people. Um, and, and that's happened throughout my time here, throughout Josh's time here. And we've tried to like... Wait, you mean people get pissed off in the church? They do. It's, <laughs> it's shocking, I know. Um, and... And of course, we're in the middle of a, kind of a fraud election year. We also, people are at home, and I think just stewing alone can bring up a lot of uh, big feelings. We're in the middle of a big, massive national conversation on race. Like, there's there's a lot of things that are getting people riled up. And, um, and I watched a TED Talk with you, Jim, uh, a few years ago where you brought up this idea of three practices that... Um, you two then wrote a book on recently and um and i found those to be really intriguing and you've been putting them into practice in this in this very um interesting way so um i think first of all i'd like to hear from you guys um what these three practices are and like where this idea sort of came from jh why don't you take it well, we have been uh, living <laughs> living paralyzed, parallel lives for a long time before we met each other about about five years ago, and um, have been watching um, how people connect across the different divide, um, not just on accident because they get stuck in a train station uh, in a whiteout or, or whatever, but on purpose and repeatedly. And uh, it was Henderson who who I think. Uh, framed the language around these three practices that uh, I readily agreed I had seen and attempted to practice myself over time. The first practice being, uh, I'll be unusually interested in the other, uh, a keen curiosity about uh, not only what people are saying and doing, but why they're saying and doing those things, and, and an eagerness to understand that, or at least to be clear about it, and to not project my assumptions about it. Uh, the second practice is uh, I'll stay in the room with difference. Um, this is the, the, the pivot in this whole thing, right? Um, we, uh, we are breaking up over many things these days. Uh, it used to be you had to really uh, have a big conflict to break up. Now you just have to have a Twitter account. And the ability, capacity, intention, and Steadfast determination to stay in the room with difference is a conscious practice that some people undertake uh, in order to 
be clear and to understand and maybe even befriend somebody who disagrees with them. And the third practice is I'll stop comparing my best with your worst. Uh, in a gotcha world, uh, the easiest thing in the world is to move to, yeah, but what about, or yeah, but your guy, or whatever that, that may be, and, and to end the conversation or uh, divert the conversation because we can't defend our position. We can only attack the other person. Mm-hmm. When we decide to uh, stop comparing our best with the other person's worst, <clears throat> we're deciding to give a little ground, to listen a little longer, to keep the conversation going as long as, as we can, uh, rather than trying to make our point and get out. That's the big idea. And uh, it's what we've spent much of the last two and a half, uh, almost three years, trying to figure out how to operationalize. Uh, everybody's aspirational about getting along. We really should get along. I wish we would get along. Why don't people get along? We've been trying to figure out how do you put wheels under that hmm, and yeah. make it possible for people who really disagree with each other with cause to be curious, stay in the room with difference to stop comparing their best with each other's worst and uh, to seek clarity and understanding. And then what? Well, we don't know. Maybe good, maybe bad. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's good. I, I really, I'm, I'm itching to get into practice three a little bit because that's always the one I've, I've listed these three practices for people for years now. And every time mm. I get to, um, I'll stop comparing my best with your worst it's like these scales come from people's eyes. They're like, oh, that's so hmm. good. But it's it's practices. Um, practice one is just hard to put into your life. But but it's that practice, too, that we seem to lose people. Hmm. The um, I'll stay in the room with difference. And, and I just sort of wonder how you put that into play. Because, um, uh, Jim... Uh, Hancock, you've posted a number of times about um, uh, things like race and gun control. Um, really, really fascinating articles. And um, Henderson, I think it's fair to say you're not a big fan of our president. Um, I, I, I think that's fair to say if anyone's looked at your social medias. Um, and so you, you're very, like you're in the process of being open and honest with where you're coming from. You're not, you're not saying let's all just get along. You're coming with, with your stuff and putting it in the room and you're allowing people to come with their stuff and, and staying in the room together. Um, how have you, how have you seen that work? How have you tried to make that work? Um, has it fallen apart? are you in the middle of this thing that you're not even sure if it works like what, um, how have you been putting into practice, um, staying in the room with difference? Well, it's, um, it's interesting. Your, your insight into the practice is, is encouraging. And, uh, the awareness that we've not abandoned our own positional, our own particular opinions. This, for me, uh, grew out of my curiosity around Jesus, uh, who obviously was walking around with opinions and managed to like function in a world that was like going sideways. Uh, wasn't always revealing his position, 
um, asked a lot of questions, mm. seemed yeah. what, what therapists would call non-reactive. Um, he was what, what therapists would call uh, well self-differentiated. And then in the, the and the work of a guy named Edwin Friedman, who wrote a book called The Failure of Nerve, which yeah, is a leadership Yeah, great book. So it, Friedman is basically the guy that I think is articulates this, um, uh, you know, academically or structurally and emotionally, where his definition of leading is to define yourself and stay connected. And, and that becomes the work. It's real similar to, you know, being married or being friends or being in a group where you're, you're struggling. How can I be me and still be part of a we? This is the endless, this is why therapists get paid, right? You go talk about that. That's the big thing of that or abuse or something. But that's, that's probably half of therapy is people trying to figure out, how can I be myself and still be with this person, blah, blah, blah. So, so it, would be, it would be inauthentic of us to sort of present the kumbaya version of like, let's all pretend we don't have opinions anymore and, and get along. That's, I mean, that's been tried and found wanting it's uh it's not real in the terms of people don't suddenly stop having opinions so we thought we can't so while i'm moderated in terms of expressing my opinion i feel like it's important that people understand i have it i don't attempt for example in social media to run uh what we do in three practice circles because it's not possible for people to do because they're not yeah. simply not disciplined enough uh mm -hmm. so as it relates to yes we have opinions we maintain those, but um, our work is to stay in the room with difference. So if there's no difference to stay in the room with, there's no, there's nothing to grow from. It'd be like lifting weights just as a metaphor or a theory, not actual an actual weight. You know, that's it's lifting the weight that builds the muscle. So um, that's why we retain our position because we're also wanting to train real human beings who aren't going to suddenly, you know, join like a, uh, a commune or a cult or a guru thing or something overnight and just, you know, pretend we're going to suddenly not have opinions. We want to help people that keep their opinions and still learn to value, inquire, and be genuinely curious about others. Um, that's what makes life interesting. That's what makes it an actual practice. That's what makes you get up and want to do it again. Is because it's it, it's you you learn about yourself, you learn about others, but you also learn primarily about yourself. Why am I reacting when this person takes a position that's different than mine? So so you guys mentioned having read my my first book, which was on evangelism, and and really what my curiosity about difference started there, essentially because evangelism has this unique capacity to expose difference very bluntly yeah there's, there's almost nothing like it other than like you know direct sales <laughs> yeah no <laughs> to, it really is it trigger, it's, it's like it triggers people. hey are you are you going to heaven oh you're not yeah. well let me <laughs> tell you what's coming for you <laughs> like right it's it's a right. it's a pretty messed up process if you grow that's up why people don't do it right right so we don't like doing it we don't have like having it done to us so that's a failed model so my curiosity was really then grew about why are we so afraid of difference? Why am I afraid of people telling me they don't believe in this stuff? Mm. That led me then to hire an atheist, to hire people, you know, take yeah. me, all that stuff was driven by why am I afraid? Why do I not want to know th th what this person thinks? What, what, so I can't do anything about them, but I can do something about me. So that's my 
my thoughts on what the origin story of staying in the room with difference. Yeah. Jage, you got something? The, the notion that we uh, need to agree, should agree 100%, um, is, I think, false uh, as, as premise. Um, the uh, eminent progressive uh, Ruth Bell Graham um, used to tease... Bring it. <laughs> used to tease that uh, in a marriage where they always, uh, the parties always agree, one of them is not really necessary. Mm. Um, and uh, <laughs> the experience of uh, sort of the American uh, patriarchal approach to marriage uh, suggests that we really uh, only have one opinion. Um, That's in, right. In and it's my opinion. Mine. That's right. right? And if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Um, that's ridiculous on its face if we are regarding uh, other people as having agency. Secondly, um, you know, Chris Hogwood was the master and the first to say, it, what happened? Well, it depends on where you're standing, right? That if you take a step to the left, a state step to the right, go up on a ladder, crawl underneath uh, a fence, you see the world differently. Mm. And the possibility that what you saw before was true but not complete is always before you if you're moving around. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. So we get to we get to intentionally um, build our worldview, right? In Baltenchanga, this uh, German word that literally means in a in view of the world, world view. We get to build that on purpose by moving around. And that change of perspective, high, low, left, right, forward, backward, changes what we see. And therefore changes how we describe what we see. So our deliverable in three practice circles and three practice driven conversations in, in the wild is not agreement. Yeah. Um, Jim says uh, pithily, uh, agreement is overrated, <laughs> and, and in many ways it is right for 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 cause. Our delivery is in the form of clarity right? when we really get into the process and really uh, ask good clarifying questions about uh, a firmly held opinion from another person. We're drawing out of that person more so that we can understand, mm -hmm. maybe. But we don't understand until we are clear on what they're actually saying. Sure. So, you, clarity. Then understanding, maybe. Go ahead, Jim. You you guys mentioned in the setup that your churches were struggling with difference. Yeah. I believe. Can you tell just for context sake what what's going actually on what's going on in your actual <laughs> lives as it relates to this issue? Well, with your as leaders. I mean, so we've we've had some various things over time. Um, uh, there was not a, not a big walkout, but a couple of families left when, um, I was a little bit too LGBT affirming for them. Um, and, and that, that sort of tension was brewing under the church for a while. Um, and then we, uh, we both had people from both of our churches who were, um, uh, upset about our um, 
um, support of our um, black brothers and sisters in Portland during these um, uh, racially tense times. And so it like, uh, because, I mean, it, it kind of comes down to political difference, I think. Although, um, yeah, it's, usually, it's, usually when there's there's a problem, there's a whole lot underneath it. And um, yeah. yeah, it's really hard to kind of point a finger. I guess at like one thing. I just kind of generally, I my the congregation I lead is pretty like we're fairly polarized. It's a purple church. Um, politically and so i find myself being too conservative for the liberal people and too liberal for the conservative people and so you know like not having a place to kind of rest which is a fun place to be because you piss off everybody it's a lose-lose yeah (laughs) um and so it's it's over yeah it it's it feels like you know you'd name your name your poison of the day you know like one time it's although although, because we're not meeting physically we're still virtually meeting you like or it's because i didn't make a statement you know for black lives matter and then it was because i did make a statement for black lives matter um and yeah and then there's just a lot of i i also think right now too on my congregation um there's just a lot of tiredness and so yeah. I'm I'm sensing with that kind of a lot of apathy too, like ironically. So it, it, there's just a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings, um, and people don't know. I don't know. I think they're looking to me to like they want me to support their opinion or where they have kind of landed. Um, yeah, I it's there's a a, a wrestling, um, and then definitely in in the throws we have Trump supporters and anti-Trump supporters. So um, in, in your church, in the church, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and I'd be curious to know why you asked. Because it's important to me if when you're applying these things to Jim's point about worldview, you know what's important to you is what's happening to you. Hmm. And the way you interpret these things is oh, is, so good. Uh, is where the pain is, right? And uh, there's many churches where they don't have Trump supporters and not Trump supporters in the same building. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, you know the kinds of differences you guys are describing help me to understand what you're struggling with, so that we can be helpful in terms of yeah and then we're i mean we're living we live in portland you know a very very liberal city but to realize like no there's actually a lot of conservatives who live in portland too and so yes trying to like and i'm in relationship with some of them um Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah. you guys you guys are in seattle does it does it frustrate you it frustrates me um when like recently when the when the feds came into portland um uh having having your whole city be sort of like given um one uh like these stereotypes well like yes. one stereotype this is this is how portland is and i'm like no we're we're a city like there's a lot of people here and there's there's a lot of stuff going on on the ground that isn't being heard. Yeah, it's 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 a tricky thing. I feel like the same thing happens in Seattle, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, one of our favorite lines from The Onion is, uh, uh, 
stereotypes are a real time saver. <laughs> yeah, totally. If I can just go ahead and, and paint a whole race, a whole gender, a whole part of the country, mm-hmm. or even a zip code uh, with a single brush, I really don't have to think about it uh, in, any further mm. than that. Right. And yeah. it's, it's that, it's not, yes, there, there's a failure of will. Uh, and part of that failure of, of will is the failure of will to keep thinking, right? To, to push through the fatigue, to push mm. through the, the, the conflict and find um, the, the synthesis on the other other side of that, um, our, our change and our greatness comes when we say, oh, wait a minute, when I put peanut butter and chocolate together, I get a whole new thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that really no, keeps this whole thing, but I'm, I'm contractually <laughs> obligated to mention that's, to mention Reese's in every interview. Reese's, um, uh, if you're out there, we will uh, have you as a sponsor. We, as long as you give us free Reese's, this yeah. is our fourth season, and we've had no sponsors and made not a dime on this because. I, oh, you guys are losers. Like you said, you're losers. Well, I think, yeah, I think the unsuccessful. I mean, you can't like to name a podcast <laughs> unsuccess podcast and hey, then yeah, just we're, we're screwed have people that sponsoring point. it. Yeah, right, that's backwards, yeah. that would look bad. It yeah, totally it would. work something out there. We'll find something for you. <laughs> right. I think you have however, given your uh, you've just given your congregational leaders uh, the idea that they can pay you in Reese's peanut butter. Right. I, I mean, I could do worse. <laughs> I could do worse. It could be worse. <laughs> and we can tell you about that part. Yeah. <laughs> that That's really good. The, like Going back to the, stereo, the stereotypes, I remember a number of years ago, this may be before you, David, um, there was a ballot, a measure in Portland to fluoridate the water. And we are one of right. the one of the only cities, big cities, not to have fluoride in our water. And what really surprised me or what was really fascinating for me is there was no stereotype on who was for it and who was against it. Right. Um, like it was all over the place. And it was just like there was a curiosity there. Like as you're talking to people, you're like wait, are you for fluoride or are you against fluoride? (laughs) Like, I don't, I know, I know you're a hardcore Republican or a hardcore Democrat, but I have no idea where you are on, you know, this this fluoride fluoride thing. Yeah. Um, That is funny. But it did bring about this, I think this curiosity, like going back to that, that, that first point. And so to, to stay, to really stay curious is something my wife and I are really kind of working on. We've been married 16 years and to, um, she, she's a lot better at it than I am, but this anti-defensiveness and instead asking questions, being curious with each other instead of, you know, fighting and bickering with one another. And that you mentioned a marriage relationship and I, uh, this is what I, um, kind of where my brain was going in a marriage relationship. I think we're forced into this because there's more on the line. Um, you know, like to live in the room with difference. Like if, if my spouse and I disagree, we have to figure out how to live in the room with difference. Um, if, if my neighbor and I disagree, we don't, that that's not as pressing, you know, like I can, I can say hi and then I can go into my room, you know, like, and so the the crux of it becomes the relationship and at what depth of relationship do we want to go? If if we have a surface level relationship, then like it can be this kumbaya thing, but you you don't you don't achieve this 
this greater depth. And what I'm sensing with a lot of people is that we, we care more about being right. We care more about my opinion than we do about the, the person and about the relationship. So, so let me uh, start off here and Jim can, Jim Hancock can riff on this, but um, there's something going on. Like really what's, what motivates you and your wife is the level of risk inherent. You, You know, you're not, you're not feeling the risk like every day is at risk, but ultimately there's a lot at risk if you don't work things out. Yeah. You know, a lot. And so, um, so you just, you just do it. It's built in, it's baked in, you, you struggle, you pr- you're practicing all the time. You're learning skills, techniques, doesn't matter how you feel. You just keep at it because it's too, so something's going on in the world and definitely in, 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 in our nation that's raising the level of risk to such a point that if you, like I would say five, five years ago, maybe, maybe that's, if you mentioned the word polarization, um, it would not have nearly the same impact or mm-hmm. widespread uh, knowledge that it does today. You can virtually talk to anyone today and say the word polarization, and they're going to probably have an opinion about someone mm-hmm. in their life that they know are some threat that's taking place. So some threats are going on in our lives that are different than five years ago right. or 10 years ago. And there, that's why we sense the need for people to have a tools, a way to cross the differences by because it's getting too risky mm-hmm. right now. It's just simply too risky. And so Jim, you want to, Pick that one up. Well, sure. Um, I would uh, I would hitchhike off what you said and and add that I'm not even sure that it's being right that's important to most of us these days. It's winning the point. Hmm. Yeah. Um, our sense of what it is to be right hmm. uh, is under enormous pressure. Um, we're wondering: Can we stay on the court? Can we stay in the game? Hmm. Can we be right? Uh, today right here uh, with regard to polarization one of our favorites one of my favorite three practice uh circle framing questions and it's a favorite because it uh yields so much is the question what are you afraid they would do if they thought they could get away with it and then oh wow people who answered that question fill in the blank for the rest of us and who, who they is and it is fascinating the degree to which fear of the other, and um, and that fear is tangible, right? It, it's it's not fear of them physically in most cases, though it certainly is in in quite a few cases. But it's fear of of losing what is mine, right? What I think is belongs to me uh, because it's based upon whatever scarcity. Uh, based upon yeah. uh, entitlement, yeah. uh, birthright, all the rest of that. Um, winning that point of, of putting people in their place is, is just a big idea or a big practice in social media and in lots of uh, uh, public contexts. What we're trying to do is work around that so that winning the point isn't the point so that clarity and understanding and looking for 
uh, a way to move forward together. If East Florida Bethunum means anything uh, in a nation of 330 million people, um, it means that we um, we can't vote 51-49 every time about everything and leave half of us mad all the time. Um, we can do that some of the time right? and, and, and survive that. Um, and we've raised the stakes and, and I think falsely raised the stakes, right? We've, we've, we turned this into a, uh, into a game show of some sort, raising the stakes so that we, we reward people for being polarizing. Yeah. 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 I, until, until you said winning the point, I had never thought of it like this. This just came to me now, but, um, I don't know if it's the influence of social media, but we almost seem to um, to like goad people into uh, fighting these fights. I read um, John Ronson's book years ago about um, public shaming and um, and how like you know someone would do something pretty shitty, like like not objectively bad. But then people would pile on and pile on until this person's life was ruined. And it was it like it was this goading and you you kind of you don't feel like a piece of it, but everyone's doing it. And um, and when there's these fights going on online, it, if if you watch a comment thread, which you should never do, but you do and you, you go down the comment thread, the the threads always become exactly the same where people will insult each other about their grammar or, or they'll, or, or they'll be like, look, I just went to your profile and you think this, so you clearly are, um, uh, or, or they'll be like, you clearly don't have a brain because you, you read this and I clearly said this. Um, and they get, they get ridiculous, but then there'll be pylons in that. I think we've just learned to um like to have these fights because we constantly mm. have an audience now mm. and and right. if we're having fights in private we still feel the need to have an audience i remember a couple of people left our church and they texted a bunch of our people at the church telling them why they were leaving and i'm like at which which i was like you couldn't have just gone like that that it would have been so easy if, if you just disappeared quietly but you had to you had to make i just hit your microphone um you had to you had to make a whole scene about it um just to just to have that thing i think we all need the audience uh, we all we all need to win the point and we all need to do it publicly and now even when we're in private we only need we only know how to talk as if we have the audience there i so well, one of the things that motivated us to go offline with this we don't do this online hmm. i mean there's some skills we bring online but if we want to is because you're not social media when you say online social media yeah. yes the uh the the um it's because we need to get people to see each other's faces. Mm. Um, there's a quote, uh, the journey to the heart begins with the face, something like that. And every journey to the heart begins. And so we have to, when you look people in the eyes, and, and so, so we, we started convening circles physically with people when that was a thing. And, <laughs> and then... Uh, 
and then we you, everything changes then as you know when you have to face people so then it became yeah. how can we help people learn how to take this into their private lives how what are the practices and disciplines you know and then in the last six months then migrated onto zoom didn't know if it would migrate and it's turned out to be uh better in some ways than we anticipated um and uh and largely because it's a structure the, the three practice circle is a structure just like you go to a gym and work out there's a structure with a trainer and they say do this and do that and you pay them money to yell at you and all that stuff so and it's kind of you're there with a group and you're not really you know you're in the room together but not really together at times so there's a lot of similarities to that and that's to solve that problem that you're describing to move past that um you know, it's it, when you're innovating things, there's always new opportunities being presented to you by new problems that are uh, emerging. Through social media, we didn't know this problem of threads and arguing with people would emerge. But if you understand human behavior, you give us the opportunity, we'll do that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so you look at that and go like, well, how could we actually counter that? You know, and that's what helped us then develop and start testing putting people in a room together to say these things to each other to their faces. Yeah. And that I, was, that's what drove that. I remember when he says that, I'm oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Watch this. Uh, when he says that it's, it's, it's structured, he, he means it's really structured, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> hold. Yeah. so this has become a habit between us. If we were in a conversation right now, I would not be at all offended if suddenly Jim put a, his camera, his phone up, and it was a minute. <laughs> I wouldn't even blink an eye and say, okay, I have a minute. Wow, that's a minute. And you just watch it, and then I have a minute, I'm done. Yeah. I don't take it personally. It's mm. like, thank you, I just had a minute. That's a lot of time on TV, by the way. Right. You know, yeah, watch the Democratic thing, like, get a minute. It's like, okay, I can kill. Yeah. So so we use, so this is what we mean. And I do want to say, you know, you said you have a Wesleyan church, which Wesley, I think what he disrupted, really his innovation was to actually do something. You know, instead of talk about stuff, yeah, yeah, instead yeah. Of just he actually went out and had people go out, get on horses, go out, and then he had the whole. Met they called them a name. You have them; they're Methodists. Like yeah. that was derogatory. Turns out it was a, a compliment, and and so that's what we're trying to do is create a method yeah. that people can use and repeatedly, and then they could they could replicate it themselves. He didn't have to be there everywhere, and so that was the innovation that that Wesley brought. And uh, and we just get away from this stuff sometimes because we just are used to talk, doing spiritual talk and, and talking theoretical and ideas. And so we don't ever want to offend anybody. God forbid we'd hold a clock up in front of somebody, you know, mm. oh, you know, <laughs> we're going to all die now. No, all the introverts sit there and say, really? Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, yeah. Well, anyway, and, that's what we're talking about. And I mean, a, a circle of of people you know we both went to college and we went to grad school and if you give people the chance to raise their hand and say something uh two people do all the talking for the whole hour like that's david and that's I. that's what <laughs> <laughs> yeah um that's what happens and so it like it's really interesting to um put what if we flip that on its head and train people to ask questions yeah yeah, right? yeah. i what I'll, if we did that yeah yeah, I'll say um, I got a chance to see one of these uh, circles in person at, at the ministry conference you put on, and there were a couple of things that really stood out to me. And it's been, what, three years now? So like, right. so <laughs> the, the way you do it is probably different now. But 
there were a, there were a few things that really stunned me watching that. The first was um, I had met this girl there who was a former uh, Republican opposition research person who yeah Celia who, yeah yep. Celia um, who then was angry about Trump's election. Um, there, that was three years ago. That was think how she feels now. Right. There was there was this guy sitting between her and uh, a lady wearing a headscarf, and you said, "Who wants to go first? And he raised his hand, and he said, that "He was very first." He said, "I voted for Donald Trump. I was very happy about voting for Donald Trump. I think he's done everything that he said he's going to do, and I'm I'm very thrilled to vote for him again." And I. I like I gripped my seat. I was so tense, and and of course it was it was uh, like he was the perfect person to have go first for a for a thing like that because you're bringing together a, a lot of um, people who I would say the vibe in the room was mostly like the guy or not. You probably don't like the way he acts mm. in public it was uh, and and so to have to have this dude like begin that way was uh mm. got the room pretty tense um but then you allowed people a minute to ask clarifying questions and then he was done um and then and then someone else talked and then other people got to ask clarifying questions and it was it was fascinating to watch that happen, but then also the thing that really hit me that I've I've never forgotten about was one person had said uh, when he asked a clarifying question he said, "Well, clearly you believe," and and you stopped him before he got to his question and you said, "No, no, you don't you don't ask a question like clearly you believe." Because you can't assume anything when you're asking a question. Mm. You need to ask. Right. Um, you need to ask a question where there's no assumption and let the other person talk. And and I've thought about that for three years now, about how often even our questions carry assumptions yeah. about the other person yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, and I don't yep. like. I don't know if the two of you have a plan. With this, if your goal is more people to have empathy or if your goal is more people to change their minds or whatever. Um, but, like, I know something's changing in me and has changed in me just from mm. witnessing that. Mm. And I'm still not quite sure what it is. But but I think the methods that you're putting mm. into play um, uh, are, are really fascinating and really, at this point, countercultural. Uh, J.H., could you tell them about our world domination plan? <laughs> yeah, I, I can. Um, I want to, first of all, uh, say this, by which time uh, you may want to talk about world domination. <laughs> we, we, teach, we teach three practices and one skill, and all four of those are important. But I think the immediate takeaway from any three practice circle is that skill um, that is wrapped up in the word that I'd be curious to know. Mm. That empowers the other thing, empowers the practices. We, a person has to ask their question, beginning with the words, I'd be curious to know. So there's no on-ramp, there's no explaining, oh, there's so no good. preamble, right? It, We've learned that it, since... It, 
since when you saw that since hack the ministry because because we've you, been developing this and so you we've got this pretty refined now you yeah. couldn't you couldn't phrase anything i'd be curious to know surely you agree that um you you can't do that if you start with i'd be right. curious to know uh, that's so exactly good. right but what, none of the great speeches start with those words so i'd be curious to know <laughs> what if what if I don't? What if I'm not curious? What if people don't want to know? What do we do? Well, in the context of a three practice circle, as Jim suggested a few minutes ago, it's a little bit like a gym, right? Where people go to work out with each other and they work out with each other. By each other, we mean both people who are allies and people who are opponents, right? So this workout space is created to be safe so that nobody tries to lift more than they can lift without some spotters, right? so that nobody tries to run through walls. Right? We're, we're, we're looking after each other. And in that process, <clears throat> we are choosing subjects that are on their face controversial, where there are, are differences, because we want people to work out, how do I uh, express curiosity to a person who disagrees with me? And in the circle, the crazy thing that happens in the clarifying questions, the I'd be curious to know questions, is somebody who you can tell by their body language maybe disagrees with you, then asks you a question saying, I'd like to know more about what I disagree with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to give you another minute to, to say more about your crazy theory. Right? It, it's really quite, quite something. In that process, the curiosity that comes uh, is learned. We learn it from the people in the circle with us. Mm. Um, the hardest thing people do in a circle is come up with a genuinely clarifying question that doesn't have a point, isn't trying to ambush somebody. And we've seen really intelligent people struggle with that, including the two of us, when, when we're in a space of, of asking clarifying questions. It's just not easy to really want to know uh, what somebody thinks when that person is offensive to us, or at least has offended us. Uh, yeah. So it is, a, it is a process in which the folks who get rewarded in a three practice circle are the people who ask good questions. Yeah. And we, when we get to the end, now we always end with uh, thank yous. Hmm. Thank somebody who has asked a good question or made you think or whatever was exemplified in, in their behavior, one of the three practices. And it's, fascinating to hear people thank their ideological opponents mm. for giving them something to think about wow. or saying something that helped them understand better than they understood before. There, there's something that's a little bit addictive about that. that we, we know this experience from people who accidentally cross the difference divide mm-hmm. and they come away from some snowbound outage where they've been stuck with somebody on a bus station or whatever and thought, oh, they're not, that guy wasn't so bad. He's one of the good ones, right? Whatever, whatever we mean by that, right? Yeah. <laughs> the exception that proves the rule. Well, we're devising a way for people to do that on purpose mm-hmm. over and over again so that they can um, gain muscle memory, right? Mm-hmm. To ask the clarifying question when, when somebody's trying to bait them or uh, verbally abuse them. And I'm not saying that that's rolling over for people. Sometimes the clarifying question in, a, in the real world right, is when our crazy Uncle Bob, who always is pushing our buttons, shows up for 
the holiday meal and, and starts <laughs> goading us. Sometimes the, the clarifying question might be as confrontational as, I'd be curious to know why, why you think that matters to me at all. <laughs> I'd or, be curious to know what is your position on Or what is your position on fluoride? Right. That's right. I see from your yellow teeth that it's... So all of, all of that to say, we have been really workshopping this thing and designing and refining uh, a long way from what you experienced in the fall of 2017, uh, David. Yeah. And, and now have trained uh, and certified 16 other three-practice circle leaders from uh, across the country and another half dozen who we did live down in the Central Valley of California uh, about, a, about a year ago. Uh, because our plan for world domination is that um, there would never, we'll read today when there will never be a moment where you won't be able to find a three practice circle going on in person or online uh, within one or two time zones of where you live. And that the people, people there will be expressing genuine curiosity, even though they don't uh, agree with each other, because they want to understand, uh, want to be clear, and they want to understand. Yeah. Pick it up from there, Jim. The circle is really just a place to build muscles uh, and work out in preparation for your own, your actual life. Just like people were exercised for different reasons, to stay alive, to look cool, to get a mate, to, to I don't know, anyway, all the reasons <laughs> they're doing it, to lose weight, whatever it is. But so everybody's in the room, they're all together, but separate for different motives. And so we're in a circle, we're not there just to say, spend the rest of your life in a three practice circle. We're saying, this is like an AA meeting. Like if you need to be reminded like how to do this, come to the group, come to the meeting, right? Just show up, you know, one day at a time, we can do it again. And yes, we would love to have multiple three practice circles going on, going on Zoom uh, live anywhere so people can find a circle to go to when they're feeling triggered or they need, they realize they're, they're, they become a small person. Like I'm tired of thinking so small. Uh, I'm not growing the way I want to grow. I don't want to, you know, why do I have to? And, and, and so um, it's for that purpose that we do this. Mm -hmm. Not The three practice circle is not an end in itself, yeah. but it is the tool, the mechanism, the method that we found that is most likely to help people. You know, you had one exposure and it's still in your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's not unusual for us to hear from people anymore. We, mm -hmm. we get stories from people telling us you know, that they went off and used this in their personal relationships. Mm. Just some little tidbit they got. Like, they learned how to say, I'd be curious to know. And they go off and mm. it saved a relationship for them. You know, we, mm. we're, we're getting those kind of testimony things coming in now. That's cool. But, yeah, so it's our intention to help people learn how to lead these, to participate in them. And, and so we uh, we provide, if somebody wanted us to, show, you know, uh, demo a three-practice circle for group or an organization we would do that if they want to uh we're going to start our open three practice circles early september again every wednesday night if they want to see what it looks like anybody can come in and nobody's required to say anything you won't be called on nobody will ever like even notice you if you don't want to be noticed uh so there's no pressure at all people can come and go uh and then we train people to lead three practice circles because it's 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 magical but it's not magic you know and so so we there's a methodology behind this and we have to train people uh 
And we do that in a three-week, uh, six-intensive kind of deal. And uh, so those are the ways that we go about helping spread this. So, and, and there's just never been a better time to get involved in this because of mm. the window. Like right now, what I'm trying to do is get churches to bring together, like say up to 10 people and do a, do a, a training just for that church. Mm. And then the people in that circle uh, then can use it in their, like in the election season, it's just going to get so intense. And if you had like people that were able to lead three practice circles online, uh, you know, you, you probably are going to accidentally grow your church, hmm. you know, even though I know you don't want to, but you're, you're probably going to, people are going to find you online that would never come to you. Don't even hmm. know you're there. Sure. And they, friends of friends are going to introduce you and you're going to get connected and then they're going to want to actually meet you. Hmm. Uh, if I was planning a church or pastoring a church, I'd be doing this every week hmm. because it's just unbelievable the amount of connections you start to make with people and the the intimacy that gets fostered fairly quickly hmm. with people. And uh, so anyway, so those are some of the things we're doing to help, you know, take over the world. Wow. That, um, <laughs> so listening, listening to you guys is really good stuff. And, um, but I, I can't help but believe kind of my pessimism comes in and I think of historically, you know, like yep. we are, we're rewarded. We reward people for being polarizing. And like that's, yep. that's historically, you know, like what has always been. Um, and so I, I wonder, and I, I'm, I'm curious in your, your research and in your infinite knowledge that you both have. Um, well, strong with infinite. People, so that works. <laughs> Um, the rest you're infallible i'm sorry that <laughs> yeah uncertain certain lack of certainty yeah we have that um have you have you do you have a historical precedent for for the three practice um and a society or a culture in which you've you've seen it you know or, or that that it has been practiced um and that you we have some kind of historical precedents for that Wow, yeah, what sure. a what a great question, Jage. Yeah, yeah, not not that they would ever have ever called it the three practices, but the first thing that comes to mind is uh, what is known in uh, southern France down through Spain as uh, the Golden Age, and what is known that same period of years known from middle northern France up through the Baltics as the Dark Ages. Mm literally the same time frame. Mm. And what was happening in, in the bottom, what was happening down in Spain, is that um, Muslims and Jews and Christians were deciding to live like neighbors. Mm. Um, and the history shows that uh, while the Christians and the Jews and the Muslims didn't, the, the Christians didn't necessarily worship with anybody else, right? But the Muslims and the Jews agreed that if one of them couldn't get where they were going um, in time for prayers, that they could stop off in the worship house of, of the other and and have their, their prayers. Uh, think about that for a moment. Um, yeah, and, you know, and I don't mean to paint. I think you'd be hard-pressed to see that today. Well, 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 you would be, but what we're saying and what history That wasn't the question. The question right. was, been, have you yeah, ever has, have a historical reference? <laughs> leave, leave me alone. Give us a break. Go ahead, Jim. 
if you if you think that what we have going in 2020 2021 is more serious hmm. than what was happening with the crusades oh yeah 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 right <laughs> then um, then you've misunderstood yeah, <laughs> yeah. um the, the historical record right um, people no, that's a legitimate that is, that's an awesome example jim yeah I mean, real for real that was actually going on we've inherited a narrative that tells us this thing called the Dark Ages was a thing. Mm-hmm. We just accept it. It must be true because it looks dark. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but that was going on. And uh, I, I will just say, and this is not a historical reference, but I lived in India a couple of times. I wanted to live there longer, but it, it wasn't. I was not going to be a help to the nation apparently. So uh, <laughs> I. Uh, I, I noticed that I lived in a city named uh, called Hyderabad, and this was in the early 80s. Uh, and I wandered into the, this is before I had any working knowledge of Muslims or anything like that, because I was there to be a missionary and all that stuff. So anyway, we lived adjacent to the, uh, there's a long history of Muslim rulership in Hyderabad. Um, and I had no real appreciation for it, unfortunately. But I uh, wandered into one of the sections that was, where where this was, this connections were happening. And I, and I, I was, I became physically aware of the difference between Hindus and Muslims, for example, which you pretty much only hear about now, if you watch the movie Gandhi or you have any knowledge, you're interested in India. And, um, and I was aware that shops keepers were mixed, mixed up mixing with each other. There was, they didn't, they crossed into each other's spaces. And, and then as I've gone on, I realized India has this inbuilt toleration for difference. And it's very intense, and it breaks out once in a while, and the nationalists try and foster it, which is Modi, what he's up to. It's very subtle, but anyway, he's, he's a version of Trump. And, um, yeah. uh, but they have this incredible discipline to, to stay in the room with difference. Mm. And I can't say that they like each other. But they've managed to do this thing that we've learned about. I don't know if you can see this. Does this come up? You see these words, yeah. ignorant, idiots, evil? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so generally, this is from Catherine Schultz's work in a book called Being, uh, Being, Wrong, Being Wrong. And, um, and she said there's three categories we place people in when we disagree. They're either ignorant, uh, they don't agree with us. They're idiots, they know we've told them and they still don't agree. Or they're evil, they're working against us. Mm. And so what I, what I noticed in India is that what we're doing now is we're just going immediately from ignorant to evil, hmm. right? There's only two categories. And, and what's interesting about this category of idiots is that when I was growing up, there was a lot of cultural talk that was inappropriate, but it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't demonic, it wasn't demonized. It's like, oh, they're a bunch of idiots, those whatever, fill in the blank, mm-hmm. right? And... Uh, and it was kind of playful, but it never felt dangerous. It didn't feel dangerous. It just felt inappropriate. Okay, And so it became apparent to me that we, as human beings, really know how to live around each other as idiots. Because I'm somebody's idiot, right? Right now, I'm somebody's idiot. They, they don't want to kill me, but they just like, they think I'm an idiot. Yeah, and yeah. I certainly think that about them, Right. And so what we're trying to do in three practices is move people out of the evil category into idiot category. Because, 
<laughs> we have we're not worried about we don't I'm not aspiring to this. This is too high of a bar, right? I'm not trying to get everybody to agree. I just want I don't want to kill each other. So what if we just accepted that we're just a bunch of idiots and that's kind of funny and hmm. let's get along. That's our goal. That's that's what we're up to with three practices hmm. is trying to shift people slightly. We're not trying to get them no, we're not going to get people to agree. That's uninteresting for one thing. Yeah. And uh and it's unreal. But the idiot so in India I watched people oh, they're a bunch of idiots. I thought that's amazing. They've gotten along so long <laughs> and we should just treat each other like idiots. Yeah. So you at the beginning you'd mentioned um that your goal is just to keep the conversation going as long as we can. And I think that that is really good. And uh something that David and I kind of stumbled on last year. Um, David wrote just over a year ago or so, he wrote a manifesto um, <laughs> about his openness and affirming of the LGBTQ community. Well, what that did is that triggered something locally in the churches. And of course, we I have, caused I caused problems. <laughs> yeah, of course, we, we're in a fairly tight community and we we have a network of about 40 to 50 churches and about 20 to 30 that are pretty tight. Um, in that, and we've these churches. We're all over the spectrum when it comes to the LGBTQ, whether Good. affirming. Good, um, beautiful. And so, because of David's manifesto, that brought up some tension, and um, and so we're like, wait, we we got to keep this conversation going. We right. we're in relationship with these pastors already, so we like the risk is actually kind of high because we we actually love one another and right. so right we i i i help facilitate and pull together you know a, a group of us in a room and we're face to face with one another and the things that that came out like and i made it apparent like clear from the get-go this is not this is not about convincing one person or another you know but it's um de de demonizing it you know um yeah right and and there was right. there was this natural because i mean we all the pastors we all have a pretty high iq or eq and right um yeah. and we all genuinely care about each other and so there's this natural curiosity that came about um from that and we really we left that room like let's keep this conversation going let's let's keep this Going. So there's something more interesting than agreement, right? Yeah. And it's it's that, I mean, you can call it love, you can call it respect, you can call it, uh, I want to grow up before I grow old, uh, you can call it, I don't want to be a small person anymore. Uh, there's something inside of us human beings that can really bond, like, that's what we see when people like each other, the rules change. That's a clear example mm. of what you guys are talking about there. And, and it's a way that human beings naturally connect, you know, when we like, meaning respect, want to be, be hang out, uh, admire, uh, maybe love, but, but certainly those other things, there's this warmth and, and interesting. We, and we end up having each other's backs, even though we disagree, because humility requires that we have to say, I don't know. I don't know either. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. And so if, and if people are past the humility, then it's, we, we don't have any ground to stand on. Mm -hmm. But if there's some element of humility there, then there's some place to stand. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So Jake, great. You got something to say, Jage? Yeah, I'm looking for something here. Let me, uh, yeah, here it is. Give me a second here. Uh, Ray Bradbury uh, wrote a wonderful um, 
education to the town where he was raised in his, uh, his book called Dandelion Wyatt. And he describes those people who raised him, right? Not just his parents, but the community that raised him. The people there were gods and midgets and themselves mortal. So the midgets walked tall so as not to embarrass the gods. So the gods crouched so as to make the small ones feel at home. And after all, isn't that what life is all about? The ability to go around back and come up inside other people's heads and look out at the damn full miracle and say, oh, so that's how you see it. Mm. Well, now I must remember that. Oh, wow. Jim, reread that part about the midgets standing up and the gods. Could you reread that part? That's really beautiful. The people there were gods and midgets and themselves mortal. And so the midgets walked tall so as not to embarrass the gods. And the gods crouched so as to make the small ones feel at home. <laughs> hmm. Oh my gosh. Why do people come up with that stuff, man? I could never invent that. So good. Well, they grow up with Ray Bradbury, don't they? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jeez, I quit. Yeah. Um, so the question for us was uh, when I say Brene, you, what name, who do you associate that name with? Brown. Okay, you both know who she is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, she's sort of the uh, the queen of empathy right now. Sorry, that's probably not. Uh, I shouldn't be saying that. She probably sounds something. Well, like. this week it's Michelle Obama. <laughs> Michelle true. Obama. Yeah, she's yeah. channeling Renee absolutely, and Oprah. Anyway, so um, empathy and so, vulnerability. Uh, yeah. So Renee is the one that many people think of when it comes to empathy and understanding. And our problem is that Renee, uh, if she was salt. Uh, she'd be stuck in the kitchen in an upscale restaurant and there'd be nothing on the table, right? So she's like, for people that have access to her, that understand, you know, uh, that's how insightful she is, that that have access to the kitchen, that are all those kind of things. What we wanted to do is take Brene and put her in bottles on the table, so salt shakers. So when you go into a restaurant, you presume the existence of a salt shaker. You presume your capacity to use it, and you don't presume that you're stupid because you put less salt on than someone else. None of that's even in your head. It's just there. And what we want to do is take bottle Brene and take empathy and clarity and so that ordinary people can get their hands on it and put it to work in their lives. And so distribution to us is more important than the idea itself. The How do you get people to do that? So that's why we've worked hard to develop a, a methodology that is uh, accessible to people. It's why we do trainings. It's why we, you know, why we went from just like the theory of the three practices, how cool would that be, to like, no, what does this look like in real life? And, uh, and that's, that's what Jim meant by, uh, instead of aspirational, we were operational, mm-hmm. you know, we're actionable. There's too much theoretical satisfaction that goes on mm-hmm. among educated people. And, and the, the time is too dangerous to be sitting around just talking about this stuff. It's just too dangerous. People are breaking up. Businesses are being messed with. Mm. Uh, our country's at stake yeah. in many ways, in my opinion, yeah, yeah. like literally at stake. Uh, and we can't save it, but we can participate, you know. And so um, so anyway, that's why we're in the business of taking this thing public mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and seeing, you know, helping people. Like, I think it would be really cool for you guys to consider you know, in your network, getting a group of people together and doing this training 
yeah. honestly, I'm sorry to be so direct, but I mean, no, please. If you if you if you have more than like if you have like 30 people that you influence, I mean, that's awesome, and and you could pull together 10 people and do this training, and and uh, it's a three week thing. And I'm talking to pastors right now because I'm basically saying, what if we what if we uh, reframe just for the heck of it during this election campaign? Uh, what if we reframe the Great Commission as the Great Conversation? Just mm-hmm. just because most people aren't excited by the Great Commission anyway. You know, they don't. It's just too militant and the language is anyway all that. But what if we just called it the Great Conversation and we trained yeah. people, you know, to like how to go do this the way they would if it was an evangelism program. You know how to go be great listeners. How to set up an environment so that people will talk to you and tell you the truth, and how and how you can survive that without abandoning your own position, your own beliefs. You know, this is what people are looking for. I want to talk to somebody who disagrees with me and won't hate me. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, won't yeah. belittle me, won't be condescending, won't talk down to me. You know, that's what I want. And you know, when you do that, I suddenly change my mind and think you can't be that bad. Yeah. You know, you can't be that bad. Right. You know, so why don't we do that and try that? And there's just the window of opportunity right now is uh, it's just it, it's uh, unbelievable. I mean, it, and so also this problem is not going to go away if Trump wins or Trump loses. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not going to go away. So we, we have plenty of action out there. So anyway, uh, we'll send you we'll, Jim put a link in the uh, in the chat window there that can take you to the explains these different things we're working on nice that's that's perfect. yeah we're we're in a, a, a soft launch on that so you'll be seeing things that may not be 100 right but we'll tell you uh, what, what what is going on what we're talking about here is, is helping people learn to listen louder yeah. right the, the art of persuasion in our culture is to talk louder mm-hmm. um about the same time jim was working on the book that you guys read with me in college i i was somewhere across the country working with uh, an American evangelical youth serving organization who were big on teaching teenagers to, to uh, evangelize their friends, yeah. to tell their friends about Jesus, Jesus. And part of my operation was to help them reframe their thinking from a transactional close the deal kind of approach to a, uh, an engaged space of, keeping the conversation going for as long as possible. Um, And one of the things that really resonated with them was the contention that people listen to people who listen. Mm -hmm. So from the point of view strictly of persuasion in the culture, when Jim says if he were pastoring a church today, which he has done for 25 years back in the distant past, he would be doing (laughs) three practice circles every week. Well, they were, you know, you talk about your dark ages, um, <laughs> just carry on please you were really rolling and then you went sideways yeah when he says he'd be doing a three practice circle every week it's because uh we've learned that that we can out listen people to the point that they want in many cases not in every case i think your, your point is is valid josh there are people who just don't want it they're not curious and they don't want to be curious fine they're not part of this conversation right yet right yeah um but in the process of, of listening louder to people, we can uh, we can move things along. Not only not for the purpose of disagreement or, or of, of, of reaching agreement, for the, but for the purpose of, of reaching understanding. 
and engaging our neighbors as neighbors. Um, like Mr. Fuller said, um, we don't change the old by resisting it, but by replacing it with a superior technology. Um, I, I quoted that to uh, Tony Campola years ago, and he said, Oh, name oh, drop. Yep. Yeah, well, <laughs> Go ahead. you know, you, you just screwed up my whole deal because he was about to get full glory for the whole thing. And now I've got to... I've got to start the whole thing over. Again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll accept the he short said, version. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, he said, oh, <laughs> he said, oh, you mean you can't put new wine in old wine skins? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, that's, that's the space that we're in, trying to help folks figure out how to communicate with people where we are. Not where we used to be, not where we wish we were, not where we're supposed to be, but right. where we are. Yeah, and I, I keep, as you talk, I keep, like, moving to a, a different space. A lot of, like, I've, I've been accused of killing some of my church members because so many people died, like, shortly after I got here to the church. Um, Literally. Yeah. Like, actually died. Like, I did a lot of funerals. Uh, over 20 in the first year. It was it was quite a thing. I, I don't... I didn't. They brought you in. That's why they brought you I in. I didn't they w- kill them. I. T- <laughs> but anyway, anyway, I uh, like Great so. Joke. So I. I didn't kill them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the David Libby life story. David Libby is <laughs> David Libby's my memoir. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. So I've I've become like a lot of my pastoring has been grief related. Like I've I've been working people through grief. Um. Some of my church members have gotten divorced yeah. or worked through um, yep. death of children or parents. And so I've been very familiar with grief, but also there's a huge grief in just loss of relationships. And as you've been talking right. about um, staying in the room with difference and staying connected, I don't think that we in our souls really want to break off relationships with one another. And yet, mm. and yet so often that just, mm. because we're thinking with our brainstem and we're, we're just in like fight, flight or freeze mode. Mm. We just, we cut off relationships because we think you disagree with me about such and such an issue. We can't do this. And uh. then there's just more grief in, in people's lives in the world. And, and I think um, some of what you're doing, which which is so great, is um, trying to uh, fight against the grief of broken relationships that mm. um, that happens if we're so quick to cut each other off. And so I'm I'm so, yeah. I'm really so fascinated us, with uh, your work. Huh. A, a guy told us this is this is what I mean by the salt shaker. It's immediate practical application. Uh, people need a tool that they can call on, and this comes through practice in a moment. So a friend of mine who's a retired pastor is in Arizona, and he mentors younger pastors. And he told this guy about three practices. That's it. He just told him about like what you, what you knew, David, Yeah. one time. The guy goes uh, with his brother-in-law, with whom he has difficulties, on like a five-hour drive and um, remembers something about, my friend told him about this I'd be curious to know thing. So comes back and tells my friend Ed, 
it was amazing what happened. You know, re really what was amazing is that they didn't kill each other. That's really what's amazing. <laughs> what's amazing is that they decided to see each other again. So he said it was amazing. It was the best ride we've ever had, the best talk we've ever had. And that's because our young pastor friend had learned how to say the words, I'd be curious to know. Mm. And somehow, magically, this thing worked for him. He did the same thing with his two sons when they were coming to blows. He got in between them and said, okay, hey, wait a minute. You get two minutes to talk, and then you get to ask, I'd be curious to know. Applied it right in his own life. Came back and told our friend, Ed, that he did this. He's never been in a three-practice circle, never read the book, never squat. But under pressure... If you give people something simple to do, they'll recall it. And that's really what we're trying to do is give people a simple tool. It's kind of like a relational safety pin you can pull out, you know, when things start to fall apart. And there it is. It's <laughs> modest. It's invisible. But it's, it's complex, but it's, it's, uh, it works. It works. And so that's what we agree uh, that we're, people don't have to break up. They can merely think of each other as idiots, but they don't have to, like, kill each other. Right. Oh, so good. And the people who grab that first are people who are in relationships that they either need to hang on to or want to hang on to. Okay. Right? They need to because it, it, it's a family member or an employer or employee, whatever. Um, and they got to figure out how to solve this thing and, and salvage it or, or jumpstart or whatever. Or they really want to because they love that person. Despite everything else, they still right. love them. Right. And, and I want to figure out how to how to stop diminishing and being diminished in, in the relationship. Mm. Those are the people who show up first and stay longest. Wow. Mm. And uh, by longest, I mean, we kick people out of the after party every time we do these, even in our Zoom circles. We kick people out 45 minutes after the thing has ended because uh, eventually somebody's got to have some dinner or right. sleep or it's like happens to you guys at church so when you've had hungry. something good happen. That's right. what I right? was. They hang out. That's what I was going to say. Like we have, we have a pretty decent sized lobby in our building, and man, I there are some days I'm like, go home. I like church was great, but I have been talking for three hours and I can't feel my tongue right now. Go home. Get out of here. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I'm always the last one to leave. So that never happens to me. Yeah, I'm the exactly. one David's like, go home, Josh. Get, Come on. <laughs> I get need to out of here. <laughs> I'm hungry. Oh man. Um, so, so you've got the new book, three practices. Um, uh, anything else that you want to, uh, plug or, or let us know where we can find you both online uh go to the link that we put there for you in chat you see it free practice commons okay jobby.com yeah um and you three find everything you need number three practices.com uh will so jim you want to you want to direct this part yeah three practices.com will also get you there off the map.com will also get you there um, we're, um, swirling around in this stuff and, and recompositing and, and unifying some of the things that we're doing. Uh, so the place to find all of them at once is this three practices or three practice commons. Yeah. Um, but the other two three practices.com and off the map.com, uh, will also get you into the, into the conversation. One, one final story. Uh, just, this just still makes me laugh. Um, so this this kind of seems like the natural evolution of the work you did with Off the Map, which I followed too, um, which was uh, sort of uh, evangelism focused, but also like really listening to um, 
atheists and non-Christians, instead of being uh, really pushy or attacking, really hearing um, what they're seeing from churches and, and whatnot. Jim and Casper go to church, and Saving Casper are, are good reads there. Um, but um, you you did this sit-down with with three folks that, uh, that was recorded. It's on YouTube. Um, uh, three... Atheists or non-Christians, and no, it's a th- interview with three lost people. Yeah, um, and uh, and there. So, so a pastor friend of mine showed this in church one time, which really? which which was great, and and trying to like communicate this idea of um, really hearing people out with no um, uh, no judgment. Ended the thing, and had a uh, and. I guess because she could see some eyebrows raise, the first thing she said was, and I mean, it's not okay to joke about going to hell, but other than that, and I was like, what? Hang on. Hang on. You can't, you can't totally negate the point here, which is to listen without judgment. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, it was, uh, it, it was cool to see that uh, conversation happening in church to just, Kind of made me yeah. laugh. Um, uh, watching a judgment-free video and then immediately <laughs> judging a piece of it. <laughs> the anxiety. Uh, the yeah. Uh, yeah. The anxiety. even this is right. It, it, it's it's a marker for, yeah. for where we're progressing. I mean, this language mm. calling people lost. Right. The objectification of that is so yeah. so remarkable. I mean, I don't know anybody who likes being called lost. Right. I, they they take they take massive offense at that. If you ask. Are you fucked up? Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you fucked up. Yeah. 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 Why don't you say I, that? Now we I have a conversation. Sinner? Am I lost? No, I'm not a sinner. I'm not lost. Right. I'm just an ordinary fuck up. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, right. and and you. If, if we're too nice to tell the truth to people in the language that they would use to tell the truth, mm. then we're just too damn nice. Right. right. Well, you you earlier talked about us being a bunch of idiots. Like that's great. But then, um, you know, we we have. Um, uh, like recent examples of uh, Josh mentions Black Lives Matter, and then suddenly someone's like, "You Marxist!" And uh, right, you, right. but but if Josh was like, uh, if if someone called Josh an idiot, Josh would be like, mm. "Well, yeah." <laughs> I mean, um, like, because there's we we always go like we don't we don't want to use the comfortable language. Mm. Um, mm. We we mm. immediately go to the one that stings, and lost lost is so the the word that um we use to other atheists mm. it's totally and, and we yeah. know that now yeah we, we we didn't know that in the same way 20 years ago yeah. 30 years yeah ago. yeah um and it's i i just really appreciate what you're doing and and the um listing posture that you've always taken and in, in not not trying to um attack but just sort of learn and change yourself in this whole process i i think it's right. great and admirable and um thank you and so i i hope that um uh other people are listening to this i i again don't know how many <laughs> listeners we have i estimate five well it's um, unsuccessful so it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> but uh but these three practices have been really um yeah. uh helpful yeah. to me for years so Well, uh, for the Unsuccess Podcast, I'm David. And I'm Josh. And we'll see you next time.